I'm really looking forward to this interview. Former producer of 60 Minutes has a book out, Ira Rosen, and it's called Ticking Clock. It's out now. Get it. Barnes and Noble, Noble Amazon.com. Ira, how are you? Good morning, Ira. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Well, gosh, the last couple of weeks we kept seeing little tidbits of your book. It's very uh, juicy, let's just say that. What year did you start with 60 Minutes? 1980. I was 26 oh. years old when I was hired. So you saw all the biggies. You were with Mike Wallace and Morley Safer. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it was, it was a, I really had a front row seat, uh, both to the making of TV and also to the making of uh, world history in some ways. Sure. Hey, tell us as quick as possible, because we want to maximize the time we have with you. How does it work behind the scenes? Do you, do you as a producer pitch stories to the talent? Does someone pair you up with the talent? How does it all work? Well, yeah, you're paired up, and then after you're paired up, you either, um, you know, occasionally you're assigned a a story, um, but usually the producer must find the story themselves. And uh, in the early days of TV, uh, I sound like a, you know, I sound like a dinosaur. (laughs) You know, in the pre-internet days, uh, I did something called airport roulette, where I would literally go to the airport, throw my credit card down, and say, next flight out. And I'd just literally be like an airline hitchhiker and go from city to city and place to place. And then when I landed in a particular city, I'd buy all the newspapers and see if there's an interesting 60-minute story. And if there was, I'd stay, make a couple of phone calls. If there wasn't, I'd get back to the ticket counter and say, next flight out. Now, the thing is, the karma of it is you can't just go to Las Vegas or Los Angeles, you know, cool cities. You know, if it, if it took you to sort of uh, the outreaches of America, that's the way you had to go. Um, and so you, you by, the, by the end of a three- or four-day period of time, you'd come back, you'd inevitably have a couple of ideas to pursue. Yeah, and I know, I know you pioneered the use of those hidden cameras. We were talking about that yesterday on the show, and they don't really do that anymore. What was the one with the hidden camera? The good old boys down south, it was like a used car lot. Remember that one? That was fascinating. Right, yeah, that wasn't my story, but that, uh, you know, that was, a, yeah. that was a fantastic story that Steve Croft did. Um, but I, I brought the hidden cameras when I went to ABC. And what I had noticed was the cameras were getting smaller and smaller, and we could go into places we had not gone into before. And so uh, we, we would go into nursing homes, and boarding care homes, VA hospitals. We went undercover in meatpacking plants. Mm. Uh, it was an extraordinary group of people that were involved in doing that stuff, and everybody kind of embraced the, the challenge of it. And it was only after we did a story on Food Lion, which was a grocery store chain, uh, where we went undercover to expose their food handling practices, that after that story aired, uh, we were it was a big litigation. We lost the first round, ended up winning it on appeal. But there was such pressure put on the legal side of things that uh, the use of hidden cameras diminished after we did that story. So, uh, you know, Ira, I'm not into, you know, worshiping politicians. I think they're, you know, flawed and, and greedy with power. But uh, a lot has been written about uh, Andrew Cuomo's brother, Chris. Can you quickly tell us th- this story? Because I find it fascinating and kind of kind of funny how he treated you. Well, Chris Wallace had just left ABC and um they wanted me to, if you will, mentor Chris Cuomo in the art of investigations, etc. And Chris was kind of young in his uh, tenure 
at uh, ABC. He was kind of learning the business. Uh, he had a, you know, the way you see him on TV is kind of the way he was back then. And um, when I walked into the room uh, with him, they said, you know, go go see him and whatever. Uh, Chris has kind of an off-color sense of humor. And he said to me, so I understand you're my new bitch. <laughs> oh, God. So, and so I didn't think it was particularly funny. He did. He was trying to crack a joke or whatever. Uh, you know, there's these, you know, the line from, you know, he had me at a low, and in this case, he lost me at a low. And, um, but the more I got to know Chris, the more I realized that that personality is perfect uh, for on air. I mean, he, Chris is whip smart. Chris is, um, you know, you know, he's a lawyer. He, he's engaging. He's not afraid of a confrontation. He's not afraid of banging uh, a person whose views differ or than his. And, um, you know, it's, he, in many ways, he's the perfect on-air TV personality. Um, you know, Chris is not milquetoast. And, um, and as I say in the book, I was wrong about Chris. Um, I only was seeing the, the, the hard-edged Chris, but I never, you know, thought it through to realize that, in fact, this is the perfect personality to, to be on TV. It's a fascinating read. It's called Ticking Clock, Behind the Scenes at 60 Minutes. We're talking with the author and uh, producer Ira Rosen this morning. Now, we know, working in radio for the, all the time we have, how competitive it can be in local newsrooms, locally. Now, you take that to a national level and CBS News and 60 Minutes. Who butted heads the most? I, I imagine it was like a battlefield in that newsroom sometimes. Oh yeah, I mean they, you know, they, there was no referee. Uh, imagine a, a football game without. Think of it as a football game without referees, um, and what people would start doing. Yeah, um, and, that, and that's sort of what it was like because there, you know, we there was not, you know, Diane and Barbara would uh, steal stories from each other, say. And I remember one in one story in particular. I was really aggrieved that Barbara had taken from us. And, and Diane and I and another person or two went to Rune Arledge, who was running ABC News at the time. And we said, uh, you know, this is horrible. Look what she's doing. And Rune said, well, she outsmarted you guys. Outsmarted us? What are you <laughs> talking about? She, she, it's committed breaking and entering here. <laughs> and, and I realized then that there were no rules, that almost anything goes. Um, and think of, you know, and, and I keep going back to it, think of it as a football game. So yeah. what happens is... You know, in 60 minutes, you know, if Mike would steal a story from Morley, they just wouldn't talk for, you know, a period of time. Ed Bradley thought I took a story from him, and he didn't talk to me for 15 years. Wow. Um, you know, it was at a friend's bachelor party. We, we sort of said, you know, Ed, it's been 15 years, you know, can, can we begin chatting now? And said, it's 15 years? I said, yeah. He said, okay. You know, the one thing I love about 60 Minutes, and especially, Ira, when you were there, and, I'll, I'll, and I don't know if you were on this uh, segment or not, but I, I, I always tell everyone to watch the Jack Abramoff, the lobbyist uh, segment, because you guys used to be about uncovering the truth. Now do you feel that it's, it's not about uncovering the truth anymore and it's just a slanted journalistic view? Not at all. No, no, it's it's absolutely not. No, I did the Jack Abramoff story. That was a great one, Ira. It was great. With Leslie Stahl, yeah. And, and you know, the, the trick of those stories is to get a dishonest person like Abramoff to reveal the truth. 
because in many ways, when, when you have, you know, an informant, um, you know, and they decide to come clean, you're getting the unvarnished truth. You're not getting spin. Yeah. You're not getting taka. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, when Jack talked about um, putting inserts into pieces of legislation, it was um, it was the the honest truth about how he did it. How he, you know, what people who your listeners may not remember who Jack Abramoff was, but he was a lobbyist um, who uh, corrupted Congress uh, by uh, putting things in legislation that didn't need to be there. So what he would do is he would get a congressman, a friendly congressman, to put a rider into a bill that was uh, against uh, Indian interests in casinos. And then the Indians would hire him to take the thing that he had inserted in the bill out. So so they would pay him money, and then he would pay the congressman through political contributions money, and everybody would be happy. Congressman got his thing, you know, Abramoff got paid, and the Indians were happy because they got this uh, piece of legislation to, you know, removed. Um, so that was one of the scams he ran. And um, when you get a guy to sort of matter-of-factly reveal how you do it, you really understand how the system works. Did anyone try to uh, discourage you from writing this book, this tell-all? Um, Trump? Yeah. Uh, you know, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. You know, uh, um, some some former colleagues said, you know, you're violating the code of omerta, and uh, you know, what are you doing? And I said, so we're not the mafia. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, talk about you know um, um, how hard it was, you know, in this or that, or I talk about the personalities of these people. We have been, you know, the people who've been covering these people. Uh, and, and when we do the stories, people say, how dare you do that sort of thing? You know, I, I listen, you know, I don't think people are all bad or all good. I, I kind of, regard, you know, much of the people I dealt with as kind of black and white cookies. I mean, they have two sides. And so I think that, um, you know, in telling the book, it's, it's an educational thing. Uh, it's going to teach people, first of all, what producers do in the business. Yeah. It's a really great yarn. Uh, you know, I was, the book really begins with me when I was in my 20s and, and in many ways ends with me, uh, with Mike Wallace at the nursing home, you know, towards the end of days mm-hmm. uh, when he was with him. So it's really about the relationship that I had with him uh, for good, bad, and indifferent. Um, and the way I felt about him at the very end was, you know, it was a sad, I felt a little sad. Um about it, uh, because at the end of time, Mike was having, you know, Alzheimer's, and uh, he forgot that he worked on 60 Minutes. Mm. And I think, I think in thinking about it, that was, did more to inspire me to do the book than anything. Because, you know, listen, you know, the one given is that we're all going to die. And what you want to do is leave something behind where people, you know, remember you with. And, um, you know, in, in my, you know, not that I'm about to, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll live, live a little bit. But, you know, I wanted to leave a story behind. And this is my story. And if you like it, great. I appreciate it. If you don't like it, you know, I'm sorry you don't like it. I always love uh, the so show was, business. I, that was what I was out of. Thank you, guys. We could have done it all day. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye.